Welcome back to another episode of the Startup Therapy Podcast. This is Ryan Rutan, joined as always by Will Schroeder, my friend, the founder and CEO of Startups.com. Will, this might be our shortest episode ever. I don't even know that we should be doing this episode now. <laughs> we just found out that a competitor got funding and now the world's going to end, right? I mean, how often has this happened and, and what will we do about it? What will we do? <laughs> Happens like weekly. Yeah. We've been doing this a long time. And in that time, we've seen an awful lot of competition. And because we bought so many businesses, we actually have so many competitors across so many businesses. It almost sounded like you emphasized the awful, Will. Was that intentional? Yeah. <laughs> well, fortunately, not so much for us. And again, when I say this, it's not like, you know, we're so special or something. It's more the fact that most of the other companies, you know, that are coming to the market, et cetera, are so confident that they've got it figured out. I don't like to name names because I just think that's kind of a jerk thing to do. But when we started in the funding space, right, circa 2012, and we told this you know, story before, there were like 30 other companies that came out at the same time that were in some version of crowdfunding or equity funding, et cetera. And almost all of them are gone. And most of them were funded. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think we were the fundable.com, ironically, was the only one that wasn't funded. And, and with that said, it's not that we did anything special, you know, that we were so great, nothing like that, right? It was more that everyone else had gone way over their skis. Yeah. Right. They raised time. a bunch of money and tried to build this big thing when there wasn't a big thing to build. On top of that, you now have essentially these walking dead companies. And I'm not knocking the companies. I don't dislike that. I know some of these founders. It's more the, the cap table structure that's dead. They've raised 20, 50, $100 million. And the company makes $3 million a year in revenue. Yeah. It's a <laughs> whale in a fishbowl, right? Yeah, they yeah, grew to a, a size it. that just, it can't sustain itself. And they, they didn't, they, they forgot to account for how big they, because they didn't know, right? We don't know at these early stages. And so that's where that, you know, we, we talk about the, the trap of funding all the time and all the things that it does, but this is one of them, right? If you end up building a $3 million business and you bootstrapped it, that's okay. That might be really cool. That might put a million five in your pocket every year. Congrats. If you build a $3 million business with $50 million in funding behind you, oops. Yeah, it doesn't go so well. Nobody likes that one. Let's get into the setup of what it looks like when you first hear that this competitor has been funded, right? It looks something like this. Somebody forwards you the article or you see a tweet come across because you're following them or something, stalking them or something like that. And your stomach drops and you're like, oh my God, I can't believe it. Like we're so screwed. XYZ company, that's either a direct competitor, tangential competitor, just announced a funding round. Now to be clear, getting a ton of money isn't a bad thing. It's not, no, it's, <laughs> it's not. not like they're- Not necessarily. Yeah, right, right. But it's never, ever, ever the death knell that people perceive it as. Yeah, yeah. For the competitors. Yeah. The only reason I know this is because I did freak out year after year after year after year across all these businesses that I've done. Across, I mean, everything, right? Everything. Yeah. It does. It, all, it always gives you that feeling. Like, what if this is the one, right? What if they're the one that eats, eats our lunch because they can now afford to? Rarely comes to pass. So far, hasn't come to pass. Yep. <laughs> now, now, okay, let me give some, some caveats to that. It's hard to believe, even folks listening to this, like th there's got to be a catch here, right? It's hard to believe that your competitor could be handed millions of dollars that you don't have and be in a worse position, especially because there are a few things that happen in that moment. Number one, they're getting a ton of praise. It's kind of hard not to get a ton of praise when you just raised millions of dollars, right? Everyone celebrates funding rounds. Yep. You get some awareness. You get some brand recognition. Yep. You get the investors that are in the deal tweeting about how incredible you are, all those things, right? And it feels great. I've been on that side. It felt great. Cool. 
The other side is you project in your mind that that money must be being spent in a really intelligent manner and will have a spectacular outcome, which rarely happens. Read a case study on lottery winners and see how that usually goes. <laughs> not the same thing, not the same thing, but just back up for a second though. So like, imagine this. So this is an interesting one. The, the, the case where you do get like the press cycles and all of a sudden you got some notoriety. Oftentimes we're taking on cash so that we can improve our product, right? We need to do something. We need to extend the product. We need to, we need to scale the team. There's all these things that have to happen. But when does the press cycle happen? When is all of the noise and, and fervor around funding? At the moment it happens. And we've seen this happen time and time again. You get these press cycles, everybody hears about you, they all show up and you're like, wait guys, wait, wait, we haven't spent the money yet. We haven't improved anything. We're still the same crap product we were when we were raising so we could build a better product. And you end up with this tragedy of riches in that you get a big traffic pop or a whole bunch of new users at a point where you're still not ready to take them on or it conflicts with needing you know, those cycles to do other stuff and spend that money in ways that will improve it. And now instead, you're just shuffling through a bunch of customer acquisition. Look, it's not a bad problem necessarily, but it is a problem, right? I think that too often we just see it as like, money's just gonna make all of this easier. It doesn't necessarily, even just the success of the funding round can create its own problems because of that notoriety at a time where you're not ready to fully handle it. You bet, and again, because most folks have never gone through this full cycle, they just don't understand how it plays out. So right now, all you see is the glitz and glamour of fundraise. And you think, oh my God, they have all the money and we don't, and we're so screwed. You see press releases, you see big announcements, you see all these things, right? And again, at the beginning, that does sound awesome. And so of course, because you haven't been through this long enough, you don't get to see how the rest of it goes, right? It kind of reminds me of someone uh, being at a college party and drinking for the first time. And they're like, this is amazing. I'm having the best time of my life. And you're like, yeah, well, talk to me about it tomorrow. Yeah, let's uh, talk <laughs> in the morning. A little yeah. bit differently, right? So what we're going to talk about is how the rest of it plays out. We're actually going to tell you the rest of that story. So you can not just think about the front end of it, which is, oh my God, you know, they're doing so well. You can start to understand what all the things that start to crop up and become exponential problems that even their founders probably don't see. But it happens time and time and time again. It's especially happening right now because we are in one of the worst funding, you know, valleys of all time. And all those companies that were pumped up, you know, to become these big things now don't have that fake cash that was keeping them alive. And now they're dying left and right. And to be fair, that's part of how all this goes. Yeah, I was gonna say, I actually wanna caveat the, the worst funding time ever. What we're seeing is a shift with an investor population to want to invest in companies that are doing things like cash flow positive, yep. or yeah, yeah. you know, we're actually profitable companies over a longer period of time, right? So I'm not sure that I look at this as like a bad time in funding. It's a bad time in funding if you aren't profitable, if you're not focused on, on actually making money within your company, which we podcast about two, three weeks ago. So yeah, just caveat there. Yeah, it's harder to raise funds on a, on a grin in a story. Yep, absolutely. Again, if you understand what's about to happen, your perspective on this changes. So let's talk about what's about to happen. Number one, new company is about to get fat and bloated. All the things that they did really well a moment ago by being young and scrappy that probably led to them getting funded are all about to go away absolutely in the name of progress. Here's going to happen. Number one, they're gonna staff up. Oh yeah, hiring blitz. Adding lots of people into a party always makes the party better, right? Yep. Not always. Every time I see this, especially if it's one of our competitors, one of the first things I do 
is I jump out to their site and I look at all their job listings. And I'm like, uh, yep, they're screwed. Overnight explosion. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yep, that's because here's the thing. I know the economics of the business, right? The way venture economics work is generally make this very big and hope that the rest comes and follows you, right? If you build it, it might come. And by the way, when it works, it looks like a genius plan, right? And it sometimes does work. There's plenty of examples where it worked. The problem is there's way more examples of where it doesn't work, right? So part of what, what I look at, again, in looking at those, those, those job postings is, okay, you've now got 65 open hires, right? For stuff, I know, I, I run the same company. There's no way you need a head of AI, uh-huh, right? I know it right. sounds awesome, but you, you don't need one, right? Yeah. Yeah, right. yeah, what a hairy thing. But that was part of our investor pitch. That's why they, exactly. that's why they oh, what we're doing. We God, actually have exactly. no idea what we're going to do with AI. We just told them we're going to do something. And they, they, they loved it, yeah. And this is, again, like going back to just like the hype cycles and, and when funding is based on these hype cycles, it's so dangerous for everybody, right? Because now you've got people raising more money than they needed to raise to go do things they're not really sure if they need to do because that's at the tip of the zeitgeist right now. Why do we do this over and over again? <laughs> well, okay, so so let, let's stack onto that though. It's it, yep. not just hiring, although hiring is a big oh, part. Oh man, it's a big part. It's all the kinds of commitments that we make. Back in the day, it used to be office space, but office space used to be a big one. It also came with a commitment that well extended past your, your amount of funding. You also have things like doing partnerships. Hell, even just the way you spend, right? Show me a newly funded company and I'll, I'll show you the most outrageous comp packages you've ever seen. Outrageous comp, outrageous customer acquisition costs. That, that's one of my favorites is when you look at allowable CAC, customer acquisition costs, before and after funding, they're like, okay, we, we got to make sure we get $20 leads. And they're like, well, so look, we're bringing in leads at about $250 now. And you know, we're, we think we're pretty happy with that. We're not sure if it'll scale. We're, we have growth. Yeah, sure you Just do. Because all of a sudden <laughs> yeah. you have 10 times as much money. You're spending 10 times as much money to get the same outcome, not in what you want to do. If you want to get fired really quickly in that company <laughs> in that time, raise your hand and say, Hey, should we be thinking about maybe holding on to some of this cash and trying to get ourselves through profitability? You will be shown the door by security. <laughs> they won't even <laughs> let you pack your things, right? Now, again, we joke about this stuff because it happens so so often, often, right? And again, we're not knocking the companies who are raising. We're just saying these are the problems that come with raising. That just it just is what it is, right? And whereas we used to look at it as, oh my God, they have so many people, you know, how are we going to compete? Now we look at it, it goes. Good luck keeping all those people employed because <laughs> we have the same economics you do and, and uh, they're not that good. So that's how we looked at crowdfunding. Crowdfunding is a great example, right? And a lot of people, it's almost an old topic now, you know, as far as like an oldie timey back in the, in the days of your type topic is 12 <laughs> right. years old. Obama was president and right. Yeah, Jesus, that is going back. But if we, if we go back at the moment, everybody thought crowdfunding was going to be huge, right? Again, Kickstarter was in its heyday, all this stuff, right? It was a huge news cycle. But and it was awesome. It was exciting, yeah. right? It was great. Um, it was fun to be a part of. But we looked at the economics of you know how those crowd funds were working, and we were scratching our heads, going, "There's no way." Like we're pretty smart guys, and like you don't make that much money on it, and there just aren't that many investors, and there just aren't that many companies that can yeah. fund the, the, the crowd, perfect like, storm that had to happen didn't happen, right? We, we got a gust of wind from the east, a little bit of rain from the west, and like, that was it. Like, it didn't <laughs> yeah. it didn't all come together. It was like, all of a sudden now, because we could, not everybody's rich auntie, uncle, dentist, lawyer, whatever, decided like, you know what? I'm going to pour money into startup companies because I don't understand them at all, and yeah. <laughs> the odds seem really long, and even the professional investors don't do that well with it. Let's do it, right? Didn't happen. 
didn't happen. A niche market developed in it, and I'm glad that it did, right? Yes, it helped a lot of people. It just didn't help lots and lots and lots of people to create the mass market to support the hundreds of companies that flocked to that space at the time that it happened. It helped the way we get funded. It didn't change the way we get funded, right? So be it. Not the end of the world. My point, though, is at the time, people were raising tons of money around it. They were building huge staffs, and they were getting to the point where all of a sudden, in order to maintain that momentum and that payroll and everything else, they were selling to investors. Yeah. And that's when you know things aren't good. Yep, yep. It's, it's interesting, man. I'd love to just run an analysis at some point and find out how many companies raised more for their clients than they raised more for their company. And I'll bet it's not a pretty ratio. I'll bet far more of these companies raised more cash to help people raise money than they actually ever helped anybody raise, which is... Right. And the thing is, once you get onto that track where you've increased your costs and money will come someday... But for the time being, we've got to fill the coffers with investor money. And we've done a whole episode about this. The investor becomes your customer. More importantly, becomes where your focus goes. Yeah, yeah. You're building for investors. You're designing for investors. You're hiring for investors. You're spending for investors. And, and there's this whole mentality that changes. And anybody that's been funded, anybody has been funded that's listening right now or is going through this process is just, you know, nodding their head going, Dude, oh, God, yep. preach, right? Yep. <laughs> Here's what starts happening. We start making decisions. This is your competitors now. We start making decisions as to what we think investors want, partially because they're sending us messages saying that's what I want or suggesting as much. Or, of course, we need to raise more money. Most startups, when they raise money, are raising for 12 to 24-month windows, which means they are going to be out of money by the time they get the money. And so in order to stay afloat, in order to keep this growth going and everything else like that, got to keep raising money. It's part of the game. And we teach people how to do this all day long. So again, we're not knocking it. It's just what it is. But with that, that is a massive distraction. Not just a distraction. I'd take it a, a level further than distraction. This might be what you mean by that. But it's a dangerous diversion. Yeah. Because yeah, yeah. a distraction yep. would imply that you just stop paying attention to things you needed to. You're actually also doing things that you might shouldn't do. <laughs> like you end up building features or adding that AI person, things that are actually counter to the real progress you need to make. So beyond distraction, it's it's a diversion of resources, energy, money, time, all the things that are in such limited supply within a startup company. I think it's a huge, huge trap. A hundred percent. And the way I see it is the moment you're focused inward, and inward would include fundraising, staffing, now dealing with all this staff and dealing with all, all ops that come with adding all this staff. That is a perfect opportunity for me as your competitor to run circles around you. So all I have to focus on is, is getting customers. You don't pay attention to your customers. Somebody else will. Somebody else will. Yeah, that's the old axiom. Yeah, yeah. It's 100% true. But as soon as I see companies go down this path, here's kind of the, the cadence of the funding distraction, the funding path. The first is, again, tons of fanfare. And by the way, you know, I've gotten funded on three different companies. It is awesome to get that check wired into your account, right? It feels phenomenal and dangerous for other reasons. But regardless, at that moment, uh, again, it's so exciting, to go, so exciting to, go, to tell marketing, just spend money, let's see what happens. Like, those are fun decisions to make. And if you haven't experienced it, it's great. However, that's the start of the party. Yeah. <laughs> Correct, right? The next milestone comes in 12 to 18 months later, when you realize that you have to raise more money. Not you'd like to raise more money. You must. It is do or die. Now, uh, two things can happen. Both of them are essentially terrible. Number one, you run out of money, and then you try to bootstrap it and try to hold on until you can raise again, which doesn't end well. You know, something that's really funny about everything we talk about here 
is that none of it is new. Everything you're dealing with right now has been done a thousand times before you, which means the answer already exists. You may just not know it, but that's okay. That's kind of what we're here to do. We talk about this stuff on the show, but we actually solve these problems all day long at groups.startups.com. So if any of this sounds familiar, stop guessing about what to do. Let us just give you the answers to the test and be done with it. That's it. It's, it's so hard to go back to bootstrapping. You know, once you've put on dress shoes, going back to boots is really, <laughs> really tough because it, it means lots of decisions that are, that are counter to the progress or at least the momentum that you've developed at that point. Like, I don't think it's the death knell necessarily, but it fundamentally changes how you're going to operate that company, how it's going to grow. And then if the idea is to go back to bootstrap until we can afford to move forward and get more, more funding, it's a full disaster at that point, right? Because how are you going to do that? You're, what's the story you tell at that point, which is like, now we're back to bootstrapping. Like, Hey, everything is a, yeah, we're, we're back to near zero now, but please put some more money into it. We'll do better with it this time. Right. It doesn't end well. So with that said, the next milestone, once you raise some more money is you either realize that you're going to run out of money. You think, Hey, can we bootstrap? But we can't because we've got you know, this huge cost. But the second would be all of a sudden you're like, dude, that means I've got to raise money again. And again, I know it sounds silly because some people know this is true, but when you just got a huge seven figure wire into your bank account and everything was cool. And like that, it's gone. And you're like, damn, I got to do that all over again. Except this time I got to explain what happened to that money. Yeah, that's it. Can't sell on a grin anymore, right? You got to sell on progress on, on traction. What did you accomplish with the money last time that tells me we should put more into this thing? Yeah. It's a lot harder as you go forward. You go back to your previous investors and it's very important for them to continue to invest to the, for them to follow on. And a couple of them were like, yeah, you know, yeah, I think we're going to pass on this round, right? How do you think that looks for your next round of investors, right? Oh, the guys that already put money aren't back in it? Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Like if you're driving down the highway and all of a sudden you see everybody start to exit, right? you're like, hmm, maybe I don't want to keep going this direction either. Right. right. It's, yeah. it's, you don't it's step a on the bad, gas. bad signal. Yeah. For sure. And so essentially what happens is we get in this very myopic mindset, which is all that matters is getting that next wire, getting that next top up of funding, right? At the cost of everything else that you need to be doing to build that business. At the cost of everything else, yep. right? Oh, AI is hot. So we're an AI company now. Let's, let's rewrite the pitch deck to talk about how we're AI because investors want that. Aren't you a blockchain company? No, no, no. That was the last investment cycle. They're, they're, they're into AI now. We're an AI company now. No one does blockchain anymore. <laughs> blockhead. And so like uh, all of a sudden our whole focus changes to, again, you know, what do the investors want? Let's pause there for a second. As their competitor, that is great news. Good luck on the funding trail, dude. I'm going to be busy getting customers <laughs> and trying to make money, right? And that's where you start to see this thing diverge. So, so here's what I would say. Within the first year of your competitor getting funding, it's going to sound all awful because they can kind of do no wrong because at that point they're getting rewarded just for growing right? And they're growing because they have a bunch of money, right? They haven't actually earned anything. They're just spending money. It's like celebrating somebody for spending their allowance, but, but yeah. <laughs> not celebrating them for earning it, right? <laughs> right. Cool. Uh, so with that said, first year is always going to look like, oh man, we missed the boat. It's not till second year you start to see some of the chinks in the armor. And then third year where things are totally different. Now, we've had the interesting experience at startups.com in three different ways of seeing what the other side of this looks like. In one way, Ryan, you and I have gone full cycle on multiple businesses, almost 20 between us, right? So we know what's kind of how this thing tends to play out. It's very difficult to get past the first couple of years. The second way 
is we have over a million companies in the platform and we spend all our time talking to them through these right. things. We're well aware of what happens. We have a pretty good finger on the pulse of what's happening around here. Correct. The third way was we actively buy companies, Yep. right? We tend to buy companies that are venture funded, that have already gone through a funding cycle. And in some cases, can't raise another round. They're very good companies, but they can't raise more money. Somebody just invents an ungodly amount of money into a product that maybe won't become a billion dollar company, but is awesome for us, right? We don't care about that. And so we have so many data points about this journey, about how it kind of veers off the road. Most people only have one data point. Most people have one data point, which is essentially, here's how my company's doing, and or here's what I read about in the press about somebody else's company. Yeah, that data point's often, what's our bank balance, right? <laughs> it's not enough, okay? So let's go raise yeah. some funds. <laughs> and so for most companies, you know, that are going through this, oh my God, my competitor got funded scenario, they're seeing like the best of mixtape of the whole thing. 100%. All they're seeing is how great things are. You know, maybe the proper analogy here is when two people get married, right? The day of their wedding, it sounds amazing. Everyone's celebrating, whatever. And you see these Facebook posts and everything that are amazing. And nobody stops to say, hey, why hasn't there been a Facebook post in a minute? Yeah, right. Call them on the third day of school seven years later, right? Yeah. Is he, how, how does it look <laughs> exactly, then? Exactly, exactly. The marriage, the funding round doesn't presuppose the rest. So, you know, when I look at things, I look at and I say, okay, not how did it start? How is it going and how did it end? Okay. Usually by year two, year three, that company's a bit shook, right? They're kind of like, oh shit, this, this market isn't yielding nearly what we had said it would. And guess what? Over the past few funding rounds, we've now stacked up a massive preference, right? And for those that are unfamiliar with the term, preference simply means when the investors invest money, let's say they invest the million dollars, whenever you sell, they get their million back first, and then the rest gets distributed based on who has what percentage. See, I thought it just meant that your preferences go away as in, ter in terms of like, here's what I'd like to do with the company. Here's how I'd like to exit. Here's how I'd like to draw distributions. Here's how I'd like to, these are my preferences. When you have investor preferences, your preferences go away. A lot of things go away, okay? So here's one. At which point I've raised $50 million over a few different rounds. That sounds awesome. But people forget that money got spent. Yeah, I raised it and I spent it right? But I still owe it. Implicitly, I owe it to the investors, typically in the form of a preference. What does that mean? That means if I raise $50 million and we sell for $50 million, that goes back to the investors and I don't see a penny. We sell for $60 million, $50 million goes back to the investors first and we split up the remaining $10 million. And guess what? Probably can't sell for $60 million. The assumption is that I can sell for that much, right? Very few companies get to that threshold. So our window of options starts to, to get reduced further and further. You know what I mean? Yeah, it goes from a window to a keyhole. <laughs> right, or none, right? A good example, and, and I don't know this business well enough, so I could be talking out of school, but in the early days, I'd spent some time with uh, Slava Rubin, who was the founder of Indiegogo, right? And again, this was like 2012, you know, good enough guys. We weren't like best friends or anything. I just saw him at different conferences and stuff. And he was raising big money at the time right? He used it in 10, 20, $50 million funding rounds. And to be fair, he had a good story, right? I mean, his story was essentially, I'm not Kickstarter, but whatever, it worked. And, and I thought they were doing pretty well, right? But then I remember like five or six or seven years into it, they were sitting on a wonder, like, okay, well, what happens to this business, right? Like it, it's, it's no longer the billion dollar opportunity we thought it would be. Exactly. 
So who would even buy it? And what would they buy it for? And how would that work for anybody involved? Can they, right? Would the transaction be allowed to go through, right? It's, it, it becomes really complicated at that point. Your options just go to near zero. It's, it's ring the NASDAQ bell, sell the company or bust, right? You don't have other options at that point. Let's talk about the other options they don't have that we have. And I think this is where it gets interesting. We weren't direct competitors with them because we had, you know, uh, Fundable was used to be a crowdfunding platform for equity, not just a funding platform. But when we were doing crowdfunding by name in the same thing, they were doing rewards fundraises where you don't get any equity at all at the time. And we looked at it as, you know, kind of quasi competitors, but at least in the same space. And I kept thinking, it just doesn't seem that big. So I was like, I got a cool idea. How about we just make it profitable? Right. Like, in other words, I don't see a version where it needs $50 million to go exit. It's not going to become a billion dollar company. Right. So we don't need to raise a bunch of money to try to push it to a billion dollar company. Right. Right. And again, we probably made low double digit millions of dollars in profit on that thing in the same time period of time that they lost <laughs> as much money. Right. If you think about that, the reason we were able to do that is simply because we had the option to. When, when our competitors raise all this money, even if it's not that much money, they are on a totally different plan. They have to, the go big or go home plan. Our plan can be like, hey, this thing makes $250,000 a year in profit. doesn't pay all of our bills, but it's a sweet side hustle and we'll get paid that for the next 20 years, right? Once you get funded, there is no option that looks like that, not even remotely close. No, you can't, you can't. The investors won't allow it. The cap table doesn't allow it. The required growth doesn't allow it. Nothing lets you kind of just take distributions, take profit off the table. Everybody's going to have expectations around that that just continues to get used for growth until we surpass what we raised by enough that we can have some liquidity in this thing, right? That's the contract that you enter into and, and it's hazardous, right? So be on the bootstrap side, you've got literally as many options as you can think up. Or you could trade it for a vacation home in Hawaii if you want to. Ask your investors about that one. Hey guys, uh, we're <laughs> hey guys, we're thinking about uh, trading fundable off. There's this sweet place in Maui that Will and I would like to, to share timeshare uh, on a six month basis. You guys okay if we trade the company for that? I mean, I'm, I'm being facetious here, but like yeah, yeah. you could do that if you wanted yep. to. The counterpoint that I'll make to, to all of this is just kind of funding in general. Uh, venture capitalists will very quickly point out, they'll be like, look, you guys keep to the spectrum, which is, you know, where VC companies fail, right? Which, which is true. And he'll say like, look, all the big companies that have rung the bell, they've all raised a ton of money, right? Almost none of them have been bootstrapped. And that person would be entirely correct, right? It's basically saying when it works perfectly, it's the best plan. When it works perfectly, right? But you, you have to apply that, that statistic, if you will, like how often it doesn't work, like most of the time, to your competitors in this case. Think about that for a second. Let's say that one in 20 venture investments do well right? The, the numbers have changed over the years. They've certainly gotten worse the past couple of years. But out of 20 investments I'm going to make, one, if I'm lucky, is a home run. Two will be okay. And the others will kind of be some version of suck, right? When we give this advice, when we talk to people about these topics, what we're trying to point out is, look, if you're the one that makes it, great. You don't have any problems. <laughs> yeah. We're talking about the fact that you probably won't be and what to do about it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, because you only have one investment. The investor has 20. This portfolio theory only works for them. It's, yes, exactly. We only care it about is. founders. That doesn't work for us at all. Yeah. A couple other subtle points I want to make here that I think are, are important to this entire thing and, and putting it back to the perspective of you're the one sitting there looking at your competition and they've just gotten funded. So let's put ourselves back in that founder seat for a minute. And I think one of the important ones is that there's, there's a really interesting opportunity now to kind of see what happens. 
All right. At the early stages of business, you're, you're not, and, and I'm going to dovetail into point two here in a second, but point one, like it's a canary in the coal mine. Let them raise the funds, let yeah. them go prove out what works and what doesn't, and then follow on to that stuff because there's room in the market for both of you in all likelihood, right? Like it's very rarely winner takes all. It just doesn't work that way. We even have laws against this happening. Right? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, so yeah. good news, which dovetails into the second point, which is that especially at the early stages, you're not really competing with anybody other than your own ability to meet people in your market who want your product. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. That's it. Like until you are these two megaliths in the space competing for that last little bit of market share, you're not really competing with each other. And so when I see companies get funded around, it's it's sort of like, well, that's another good indication that maybe there's a market here. But I'm not going to take that as a sign that there's a market here. I'm going to watch and see what they do with it. I'm going to I'm going to try to understand how they're spending their money, how they're hiring, how it plays out. Is there anything I can learn from that? Is there any data that I can take away from that now that they're under a spotlight? Can I talk to some of their investors? Can I meet some of the board? Like, is there anything I can do now that's going to give me some intelligence? So for me, it's, I do, you do get nervous, right? Of course you do. Because there's, there's the chance that like, they're going to, you know, drop the killer feature before you. There's going to be something that happens. But I'm going to go back to this thing. If you can really remove yourself from that line of thought and just go, yeah, but we're still both reaching 0.5% of our TAM. So who gives a shit at this point? Like we're competing over, like there is so much out there to still be captured. We're talking about, you know, the competition between what little we've already accomplished. It doesn't matter. It's like, it's like getting worried about a Super Bowl outcome when you're at Pee Wee football. Like, oh man, <laughs> they got, they got local Denny's to sponsor them. They're going to have better helmets than we do this year. How are we going to make it to the Super Bowl? Like you're seven, right? Like it doesn't matter yet. You're not competing with the people who are actually going to be your competition long-term yet. It's, it's exactly the case. And, you know, I always picture it in my head, Ryan, that you and I both land on an island the size of the United States and you're on the West Coast and I'm on the East Coast. And we're like, we're competing for resources. Like, no, yes. no, not, <laughs> not really. really. There's a whole lot of chopping to do before either of us runs out of firewood. Yeah, I'll see you in 200 years. Yeah. <laughs> and so and I, I get it. It's natural to be, you know, uh, concerned about that. And, and, and as, as founders, we should be concerned. What we're trying to do is add to the concern a measure of prudence that essentially says, let's see what actually happens, right? Again, it's easy to predict what might happen, but if you've been around the block enough times, like, you know, sadly, Ryan and I have been around the block many times of this, you almost laugh about it. I literally do now. I had somebody the other day who is still at idea stage, who's worried about what the competitor is doing. I'm like, you need to worry about like talking to a stranger about your business who might want to pay you for it before we start worrying about what anyone else is doing. Agreed. And so like a couple of years ago, uh, maybe three or four years ago, it was right toward the beginning of the uh, pandemic. Again, I won't name names, but uh, we had a competitor that got funded and they raised like $20 million and they hired like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people. And, you know, we, and we talked about the time and I was like, damn, maybe we missed something because that's a natural reaction, right? Yeah. They must have been, they must see something that we don't see. And sometimes, sometimes it's something they see as maybe we don't see, or maybe it's it, sometimes it's even just, it is probably just goes pure ego. Someone else saw something in them that they didn't see in us. Why don't they see that same potential in us? As if the investor just walked up and dropped money on them like, hey, we saw what you've been up to. Here's $100 million, right? Never happened. The difference this time around was while I had that reaction, and I think it's healthy to have that reaction, you should stay as, as competitive as you can be. I also, also think that for folks that have been around a while, you kind of step back and say, you know, I'm kind of in this business and I don't see it. So 
maybe you don't know what you're talking uh-huh. about, right? Yeah. <laughs> yep. we'll, we'll let time tell. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And as time's gone on, I've started to become more and more aware of that fact, right? That like, it's not really an attack on my call, like my ego or my confidence as much as it's me going, you know, maybe you see something that I don't, I'm not all knowing, I'm not omniscient by any means. However, I know a little bit and uh, I don't think this is a $20 million problem at all. I'm going to solve it with $1 million. Yeah. Well, again, I'm going to go back to the fact that it really doesn't need to change what you're doing, right? Because if they hadn't gotten funded or said differently, if they got funded and you hadn't heard about it, would you have been worried about the plan that you were on? Would you have been worried about the path that you're on? Would you have changed anything about what you were doing? Probably not, right? And so the fact that this news comes, and so I'm hearkening back to the episode we did on don't just optimize for the size of the outcome, optimize for the probability. Absolutely. One of our best episodes. There's an inverse here where we can basically say like, look, don't worry about the size of that threat. Like if the competitor took all of the business, it would be terrible for us. Yeah, it would. What's the probability of that? Multiply that, those two numbers together. And now tell me how you feel about that, right? The, the likelihood they're going to come in and just sweep you. <laughs> like, it's not you know, sweep the knee, right? They're not going to do that, right? And if they do, just crane kick them. Well, I- <laughs> <laughs> I love a good karate kid reference. Uh, no, but when I'm talking about that company that raised $20 million, they missed a funding round, had to fire every single person, right? Almost exactly like we're talking about. And this is a direct competitor of ours, right? So I'm not talking about some hypothetical person. This just happened, right? <laughs> and it happens over. Here's a great example. Virtual.com, business of ours that uh, was virtual assistant business, whatever, right? How many times per year did a competitor come into that business that was venture funded, right? How many times per year and this is going years back where it's like, yes, but we're going to automate all these tasks and ever. And we're like, um, yep. Good luck with that. Yep. 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 And on the one hand, you can't be too cynical because you got to keep your ears perked and, and, and you know, things do change. On the other hand, it's like, maybe I know something that you don't know. Maybe I've actually acquired these customers and you haven't, and I don't know damn well how much they're going to spend. And it ain't the kind of money you're, you're, you're spending. Oh man. I mean, that, that's a perfect example, actually, because I used to watch this. That, the reason those cycles mattered for me, it just got to the point where it was a bit annoying. I'd see a new one get funded and I'm like, here we go. I'm going to have to go adjust pay-per-click budgets because they're going to come in. They're going to get wild. They're going to spend a ton of money. They're going to they're going to drive the bids up. So I just have to pull our spend back. I have to be really careful now because they're going to screw this up for everybody. They're going to burn through the money and they're going to find out that paying you know $5,000 to acquire one customer isn't a good idea, but they don't know that yet. Yeah, I mean, it was just one after the next after the next. The way I look at it is good for me. Like the way I look at our company right now, just because we've got more experience, we are that sergeant on the battlefield in Saving Private <laughs> Ryan where everyone else is just running around trying to not get shot. And we're just kind of like walking around casually because we're like, I'm either going to get shot or I'm not. <laughs> yeah, all the commissioned officers, all the commissioned officers from West Point who, who just raised their funds, right? You know, just, just getting blown to smithereens. Right. And I think there's some value in that, right? And, and in fact, the last episode we talked about where there's, there's, there's some value in not having experience. This is one of those cases where having the experience can also be helpful because your first instinct isn't to freak out. Your first instinct is to say, oh, they're screwed. Let's figure out how that can, that can work to our advantage, you know, strategically. I don't want any company to fail, but if they're your competitor, you probably don't want them to succeed either. And so knowing that this funding round could likely be one of the greatest things that happens for our company is wildly important. So I think for folks, when you're seeing these these funding rounds, when you're seeing these big announcements, here's the deal. Take a breath. Tell yourself that you don't actually know what the outcome of this funding round will be 
for three to four years, the only thing that matters, the only thing that separates you from them right now is you need to be around in three or four years to pick up the pieces. If you are, you win. If you get freaked out and leave now, you lose. And we want everyone, everyone, everyone to be the one that sticks around and the one that wins. So in addition to all the stuff related to founder groups, you've also got full access to everything on startups.com. That includes all of our education tracks, which will be funding, customer acquisition, even how to manage your monthly financers. There's so much stuff in there. All of our software, including BizPlan for putting together detailed business plans and financials, LaunchRock for attracting early customers, and of course, Fundable for attracting investment capital. When you log into the startups.com site, you'll find all of these resources available.